All right, I was very encouraged um, last night at the men's prayer meeting. I had several specific things that I prayed about, and it's always a joy when the Lord uh, hears and answers our prayers. He always hears and He always answers, but sometimes He says no, sometimes He says not yet, but uh, today there's been several um, answered prayers. We were, I prayed last night for Brother Jerry Beaver that he would have a good night and be feeling much better today. Got a text message from Sister Hilda, a picture of Brother Jerry just looking like his old geezer self. And so we're, we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, continue to pray for him. A couple other people that need our prayer, Sister Sherry Haig has an uncle that is in hospice as we speak, and she left after Sunday school to go and try to minister to her family. Uh, Brother Taylor Dean's got a couple of sick boys that I believe he's... Um, went home to go take them to ER or urgent care. Uh, they're pretty sick. And I know a lot of people have been battling sickness. Um, little Asher um, Yonts has RSV virus, and just a lot of kids been getting that. And I'm sure there's probably some others that I'm either unaware of or uh, not thinking about at the moment. But uh, uh, continue to pray for these. I uh, had several people that I prayed for that they would be in church today. And uh, the Lord has answered that prayer, and so uh, we are so glad that all of you are, are here in the Lord's house. You can take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And while you're turning, I'd like to read a thank you card from Brother Brian Diller. Most of you are aware that his mother passed away uh, recently. Uh, Dear Pastor Mitchell and church family, thank you so much for your prayers and cards during the homegoing of my mom. Uh, We love and appreciate each of you. Uh, Thanks for the beautiful flowers, uh, Brian and Sybil Diller. And uh, we've certainly been thinking and praying for you and for your family, and we're glad to have you back in town and in church with us today. Uh, This is uh, a text that is often preached about and a topic that uh, is frequently preached about, but maybe perhaps not preached enough about, because uh, I'm going to talk about something that every single one of us struggle with from time to time. Uh, No doubt I'm probably going to be preaching to um, many people that are struggling with this very thing um, here as uh, we're together worshiping the Lord here today. So let's go ahead and start in chapter 19, verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, And came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. That must have been quite some food, wouldn't you agree? And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away." And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, seems like we've heard this before, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet... I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Amazing story about an amazing prophet. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of Elijah's discouragement. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be in your house today. It's good to know you. Lord, it's good to look back at our lives and see all of the troubles and trials and, Lord, all of the pitfalls that you have redeemed us and rescued us from. I thank you, Lord, for these that are here today. I pray a special blessing upon each and every one. I ask you, Lord, that you would use us today as we speak the Word of God to be a help, an encouragement, a strength to your people. We pray if there be anyone here today Lord, that doesn't know Christ as Savior, Lord, may they realize their need. May they be drawn to salvation by the Holy Spirit. We just pray for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what we've already experienced here today. You've been so good to us. May we honor and glorify you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in our young adult class, As I was on my way to church this morning, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to my heart and said, uh, you need to hear some testimonies. You need to talk to your class and just see how things are going in their life. And oftentimes when I think that, I think, well, how often have I said, let's hear some testimonies and just had everybody just kind of stare at me like, we don't have anything that we want to say. But I I really felt that the Lord was in it, and so lo and behold, several people raised their hand, and it just seemed like the Holy Spirit was in it. People began to open up and talk about what God has done in their lives through the years, and many expressed some very challenging things that they went through. And uh, it was just, I, I, I thought it was so neat how that the Holy Spirit, what He's been speaking to my heart through the message this morning on discouragement and just hearing the testimonies of God's people of how God does so many amazing things over periods of time. There are times where we just don't see any victories and it seems like God's not working, but a lot of times what we're doing is we're looking right at the just a, a very small window of time in our life. We're looking at the here and the now. We're not seeing over time what God has done. I mean, as saved people, certainly we can look back five years and see where we're at today and see all that God has done in our life in the last five years. I remember as I was thinking, hearing the testimonies, and I was reminded of how that it's only been 34 years ago this month when I really felt that I've messed up my life. I've lived out there in the world. I've rebelled against God, I've been in love with the world, and I'm just damaged goods, there's nothing, I mean, I I can be faithful, and I wanted to, to do right, but I really didn't think that I could amount to anything for God, even though I wanted to. And so that was how I felt at that moment, 
And then for many years, I'd study the Bible, I went to Bible school, and then I had to wait about six years before I ever was in any kind of a, say, full-time ministry. And then most of it was just kind of running administrative things behind the scenes. But as I look back over the last 34 years, I think, wow, in all of these years, just by being faithful, I've seen how that God has blessed abundantly in so many ways. I never would have thought, uh, it hasn't been that many years ago, I never would have thought that God would have given me the privilege and the honor to pastor this church. I honestly feel that God has allowed me to pastor some of the best people that I know. And it's such a joy and it's such a privilege to be able to be part of what God is doing in your lives. And so I've had times where I felt like quitting. I mean, many, many times that I felt like quitting. And I say that to my own shame. Uh, usually it's after some kind of a disappointment. Usually, in many cases, it's after a failure, just thinking, God, I can't handle this. I'm not worthy. I'm not able. And so I might as well just quit because I don't want to fail. And sometimes the only thing that's kept me going is that serving God's kind of like being on a train, on a locomotive that just keeps going, and it doesn't stop to let us off. Sometimes I've just stayed on the train because just the fact that bailing might cause me more pain than what I'm going through right here and right now. God never does stop the train and say, okay, I'll let you off. So when we bail, it's usually God makes it fairly difficult. But you know what, as we read about Elijah, one thing that I want us to realize is that God is a personal God and he is interested in your life. Isn't that a great blessing and privilege to know that the God of creation. Oh, sorry, just not working. All right, thank you. All right, well, that was bad time, and I was really into that. I was so into it, I didn't see him walking up here. How about that? All right. The preaching gets worse. I want that one back. <laughs> so anyhow, let's get back on track here. Isn't it amazing that God is a personal God that takes interest in our little measly lives? Now, I'm not an Elijah, and neither are you. Elijah was such a great man of God that fought such a great battle and had this great victory. But aren't you glad that even us no-name generics, that God takes an interest in our life? I, I know I talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, we're having a cookie social tonight. You know that one of my favorite cookies is the cheap iced oatmeal cookies that you buy at Food Lion or at Walmart. The ones at Food Lion are cha-chings. And, and the ones at Walmart are great values. And, and there, and now this is like an everyday cookie, just to grab one and snack on. They're not the, like the gourmet cookies like what my wife made for me last night those peanut butter ones, and I have no idea what we're eating tonight. But just as something to grab and go, as a staple, I just like the cheap, plain old oatmeal cookies. And you know that sometimes we think about, well, we think about Oreos, and we think about the, the what's the chocolate chip ones made by the elves? Keebler, Chips Ahoy, right? Did I get it? We think about all of these name brand, the ones that people know about, but sometimes we don't think about just the plain, ordinary cha-chings. I'm glad that God takes interest in us cha-chings. In James chapter 5 and verse number 17, God puts us all on an even playing field. He said, Elias, that's the New Testament word for Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Those passions are talking about emotions and feelings. And he said, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Man, that's an amazing answer to a prayer. I, I wouldn't even dream to say, God, would you please stop the rain for three and a half years? 
Now, most of us wouldn't pray that because we'd have to go through the drought and the tough times ourselves. And you know, a lot of times as Christians, we are reluctant to pray that God would truly help our nation because down deep, we know that if our nation's going to turn back to God, we're probably going to have to go through some tough times and we love our comfort. We need a revival in this nation. This country needs to turn back to God, but we are not going to turn back to God until we have to turn back toward God. That's just human nature. It's the way that it works. Elijah was so interested in the spiritual welfare of the children of Israel that he was willing to say, God, stop the rain for three and a half years. Now, there's some prophetic meaning behind that, talking about the tribulation period, and certainly God's judgment is going to come upon this earth to turn Israel back to him once again. But the bottom line is Elijah was still just a man. As the cliche says, he put on his pants one leg at a time. Or I guess his leathern girdle one leg at a time. He was kind of like John the Baptist as we read and study. So Elijah, even though he was a special man of God with special powers and special privilege, he still was just a man. And so thank God, regardless of who we are, we all have like passions. We're all cut from the same cloth. We're just plain old men and women. Isn't it amazing how we are all so different and yet so much the same? In 1 Peter 1 verse 24, the scripture says, For all flesh is as grass. You know, when you think about the grass in your yard, you don't necessarily pay much attention to each individual uh, blade of grass. You see the overall effect of all of them together. And you can tell whether your lawn is healthy by the color, by the growth, and so forth. But each individual blade of grass, we hardly ever pay attention to to that. But you know that all flesh is as grass. We're all pretty much just the same in God's eyes. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Oh, but you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know that. Oh, but nobody's had it it as tough as I do. Um, You might be sitting in the same pew as someone that's got it way tougher than you've ever imagined. There's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. I don't think that I can make it through this. I'm going to have to give in. Nobody's been tempted as hard as I have. Yes, they have. But such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that year able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God doesn't say that he'll take our temptation away. He promises that he'll be faithful And he'll give us an exit plan. He'll give us grace so that we can bear the temptation. Don't ever think that saying yes to the temptation will ease the burden. All it does is create more problems. Too often we think, oh, I'm just tired of fighting this. I'm just going to give in. And what happens? We give in and we find that that was the dumbest thing that we ever could have imagined to do. Now back to our text. Let's talk about what was the cause of Elijah's discouragement. Well, in chapter 18 and verse 46, if you would look at that with me, it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah had just had a great contest with the prophets of Baal. They had all gathered there on Mount Carmel, all of the prophets of Baal, and then Elijah all by himself. And they built altars, and God said that whoever, the the true God that answers by fire, he is God. And so all the prophets of Baal, 
they're praying and boy, they're getting all animated and they're cutting themselves and they're leaping around and they're doing this. I'll let you think about that. They're they're doing all of these emotional things trying to get God's attention. But they didn't get their God's attention. And there's a reason. Because their God didn't truly exist. And so Elijah comes out and he says, pour water on the, the altar and do all of this. And he prayed just a simple prayer. I think it was just 27 words, if I recall. Just simple. Didn't raise his voice. Didn't repeat anything. Didn't say, oh, dear God, please, we beg you. He just said, God, show them that you're the real God. Answered by fire. Sure enough, fire came down, consumed all of the altar. All of the people that witnessed that realized that the God of Elijah was the real God. God said, gather up all of these false prophets that are deceiving you and slay them. It was a huge, huge victory. It was such a great victory that you would think that there would be national revival. So, a, 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 who are we talking about? Elijah runs to, to see Ahab because I believe that Elijah felt in his heart, surely this is going to get through to the king. And he's going to repent. His heart is going to be changed. But that's not what happened. I mean, Jezebel got a hold of that information. She uh, she saw it on CNN before Elijah got to Ahab. And she heard their version of it. And so she said, Elijah, you're a dead man. And I'm going to do everything in my power. And of course, Ahab, being the good husband that he was, obeyed his wife. That was a joke, by the way. And so... Elijah, I believe, had an expectation that reality did not live up to. At the root of much of our discouragement is this concept of expectation versus reality. I wonder how many times as a preacher that I've had an expectation that reality didn't live up to. I mean, pour your heart into a sermon and study and pray over it and then preach it expecting God to give a great revival, expecting somebody to walk the aisle and trust Christ as their Savior, only to find that at the end, nobody moves. It doesn't even seem like God's even there. Now, I got to say that there have been times when I was certain that after I got done preaching that God didn't do anything, only to find out weeks later that it was a life-changing sermon for someone and I just had no idea at the time. Sometimes expectation and reality, the reality is skewed because we don't know what's really going on. But there are times when, uh, for instance, we invest so much of our life into raising our children and we have hopes for our children that they will turn out right with God, and they'll serve God, and we have all these expectations, but the reality of it is, is that it's going to end up being between them and God. We cannot do it for them. It has to be them and the Holy Spirit. How many times do we have expectations that, hey, if I just work real hard for my boss, I'm going to get that promotion, and I'm going to be in better financial condition because I gave I gave it my all only to find out that we get passed up for the brother-in-law who gets the promotion. And we have this expectation, but reality seldom ever lives up to our expectation. And that causes disappointment. And that disappointment turns into discouragement. That discouragement often turns into frustration and ultimately into depression. Elijah's discouragement got so bad that he actually told the Lord, just take my life away because I'm not any better than my father's. Now, where in the Bible did God ever say that we're supposed to be better than our father's? Now, I know as a father, I have hopes that my children would go further for God and be better than I am. I think every one of us have that hope. But nothing in the scripture ever says that we've got to be better than our fathers. Sometimes we think that we should be because we see in our parents their humanity and we see their faults and we see their failures. 
I got news for you. If you see the problems and the faults and the failures in your parents, you can just look around. I guarantee you there's not a Christian home that doesn't have faulty parents. And you think, oh, they, they've got this perfect little life, but you don't know the reality of it, what they're going through. You don't know their problems and you don't know their trials. I find that nine out of ten people that quit on God, I thought that everything was just fine, but I didn't have a clue. They just kept it private. They kept it secret. Bottom line is, in life, hardly ever, I won't say never, but hardly ever does reality fulfill our expectation. That was at the root of Elijah's disappointment and discouragement. What are some other factors that cause discouragement? Well, the first thing that I'd have to say is certainly failure or sin is a cause of discouragement. I read about the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 17, verse number 12. It says, The children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? You know, this is, uh, uh, this is when Aaron's sons had brought strange fire before the Lord and God dropped them dead. They sinned against the Lord and what they got was just. But all of the children of Israel looked at that and they go, Oh, we're just, God's just going to kill us all. No, that was the consequences of their sin. And you know, sometimes, and let me warn you here this morning that there are times when we are discouraged and depressed, and it's not because of our circumstances, we could really trace it back to some sin that we committed that we're still feeling guilty about. It has oppressed us because we haven't repented. We haven't gotten it right with God. We talked recently about the blood of Jesus Christ and how that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It purges our conscience from dead works. That's why it's so vital that our faith for our righteousness is in the blood of Christ and not in our own performance. Listen, you start trusting in the blood of Christ and you start drawing nigh to the Lord, your performance for God will take care of itself. But if you're seeing this performance with God as some kind of a checklist and some kind of a drudgery and duty, you're never going to live up to it. That's why it's so vital that we just, we focus on loving God. You fall in love with Jesus Christ and your behavior and your character will take care of itself. But if you don't love Jesus Christ, I don't care how hard you try, you're ultimately going to fail and you're going to be disappointed and discouraged, not in everybody else, but really in ourself. How about life in general? You know, life can cause a lot of disappointment. Have you ever had something happen in your life and you step back and go, why God? And God doesn't give you an answer. How often do things go sour in our life and it's just because of life? In Numbers 21, verse number 4, it says, They journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged just because of the way. Hey, they weren't fighting any giants. They weren't, they had food to eat. God's providing them manna. He's giving them the protection that they need. All of their basic needs in life are being met. They had nothing to complain about, but they were discouraged. Why? Because they're just wandering around in the wilderness and it wasn't fulfilling. Sometimes there, uh, there are times in life where we feel like that we're just taking laps around Mount Sinai. And we just go through life and we go like, well, seems like I did the same things today as I did yesterday. I remember Brother Runyon, my father-in-law, used to talk about the, the, the Christian man who would work. He'd, he'd, he'd get up in the morning, he'd eat his breakfast, he'd get in his car, he'd drive to work, he'd clock in, he'd, he'd work eight hours, take his lunch break, sometime in between there, he'd clock out and he'd come home and... Uh, he would uh, kiss the dog and pat his wife on the head. 
That's the way Brother Runyon would tell it, by the way. And then he'd sit down in his easy chair, read the newspaper, turn on the television, watch it until bedtime, go to bed, and then just get up the next morning and do the same thing. There are times in our life when life just seems the same routine over and over. We go to school, we go to work, there just doesn't seem to be anything exciting. Our souls can be discouraged just because the mundane parts of our life. You ever, you ever, you ever watched a football game and you get to the, the fourth quarter and it's zero to zero? Now, somebody who was, who, who played defense in high school is going, yeah, that's a great game. You know, the defense is doing so good. But we like to see some scoring. I remember when Anna was little playing soccer and uh, we would watch the whole soccer game and it would end zero to zero. And we'd be going, yay. Good job, Anna. <laughs> Way to, you kick the ball couple times. Good good girl. This little girl soccer. You know what? It's we we like to see some scoring. We like to have some excitement in life, but the reality of it is as much of life is just mundane. If we're not careful, we will become disappointed and discouraged with the fact that we're just living our life. You know, this is not part of my message. But if you're feeling that way about your life, you know what the real root of that problem is? Is we're not being thankful for the things that we have. You know, if, if, if we would start adding some thankfulness for those areas in our life, we would find some excitement and some enthusiasm in little things that nobody else would be excited about. Because there are little provisions and little blessings all throughout the day. I mean, just putting on your clothes in the morning. It might be the same clothes that you wore to work the day before. But it's like, thank God. Hey, you know what, Lord? I've got a change of clothes. I've got some work clothes. And you know what? I've got some clothes that I can change into and go to church. Hey, I've got some comfortable clothes. I've got some dressy clothes. We ought to just be thankful for just some of those little things in life. How about the next one? Walking by sight rather than by faith. That can certainly cause discouragement. In Numbers 32, verse number 9, once again, talking about the children of Israel, for when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol and saw, they're, they're looking at the circumstances, they saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Hey, we're just grasshoppers in the sight of those giants. There's no way that we can overcome them. They are too mighty and too strong for us. And they got discouraged because they lost, they lost the, the spiritual sight of God's promise and all they could see is the circumstances around them. You may be going through some relational problems. You may be going through some financial problems. You may be going through some health problems. And you may look at those things in your life and you say, there's no end in sight. There's no healing. There's no victory. There's no help. I just don't think that anything is going to improve. Nothing's going to be better. Do you know that you may, God may do something in His time? But the bottom line is we need to walk by faith and not by sight. You know that when this life is all over, if we're saved, we're going to heaven. And it really doesn't matter if we have health problems today or if we have financial... Hey, you got some financial problems? When you die, you're going to be walking around on streets of gold. A plate, yeah, pavement. The thing that we, we, we base our economy, allegedly, on gold. I think it's more paper now, but I mean, gold is considered one of the most valuable things that we can possess. And that's pavement in heaven. So ultimately, our financial problems, whatever you're going through, it's going to be okay in time. You just got to just hang in there and be patient. Relational problems. Say, so you don't know how my spouse is treating me. You don't know how my children are treating me. 
you know what? When we get to heaven, it's not going to matter. Do you know that? It's not going to matter. Sometimes, have you ever thought this when somebody's treating you bad? We think when we get to heaven, it's like, well, I'm just going to tell God on them. As if he doesn't know. God's going to straighten you out one day. Really? Do you think when we get to heaven, we're even going to care? Do you know when we get to heaven, the person that is the biggest problem to us here on this earth, the person that's the biggest annoyance, the person that's the biggest grief, the biggest heartache, causing us the most problems, when we get to heaven, we're just going to be so glad that they're there, we're going to give them a big hug. After we've spent about a million years just looking at Jesus saying, wow, it's not going to matter, brothers and sisters. Heaven, salvation is the answer. This life, the stuff that we go through, the walking by sight rather than by faith, and then the mundane things of life. How about the next one? Personal loss. Boy, that can cause discouragement. We work hard to get to a certain point. We try to get to where we need to be, and then it's like we climb that hill. And just before we reach the top of the hill, we we hit a slippery spot. And we don't just slip back a little ways. We slide all the way down to the bottom of the hill. Have you ever thought about the hamster in the hamster cage and how they, they get on their little exercise wheel? You ever feel like that in life? And you think, well, why is that hamster doing that? They're not getting anywhere. Well, think about it this way. What would they be doing if they weren't running around on that wheel? What if you let them out of the cage? They'd probably be chewing up your shoes. They'd be getting into trouble. They're rodents, by the way. I mean, they'd be causing all kinds of problems in your home. So at least the wheel's keeping them out of trouble. And even though they're not getting anywhere, you know what? They're probably really healthy. I mean, you ever seen them run? Man, they just keep on going. So they're in good shape. So sometimes the hamster wheel of life, we may feel like we're not getting anywhere, but just keep running. It's better than what we'd be if we didn't have that to do. Amen? Personal loss. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. How much more personal loss can you get than that? All your stuff is gone, and all your family has been taken captive. I have never had anything like that happen in my life. Have you? I mean, he, he lost anything that I would consider valuable other than his own life. He still got his men with him. He still got all these loyal, faithful soldiers. Oh, really? Look at verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. (laughs) How often does that happen? Hey, somebody's got to be blamed for my calamity, right? Here's all these men that lost their families and their stuff. And, you know, David didn't invite them to join him. Remember, if you study his life, he was out in a cave fleeing from Saul And all these men, they went out to him. He didn't recruit them. He didn't hire them. They went out to him because their life was such a mess where they were at. And they thought, you know what? If our life's this big of a mess, we might as well join him. Maybe he'll end up being king. What do we got to lose? So they went out and joined him. He didn't invite them. But now David has suffered the same things that they're suffering They're all weeping, but then they get to looking. This is David's fault. Let me say this to you. 
when you suffer personal loss, if you're going through a trouble or a trial, don't make rash decisions. Don't. You'll think, I've got to do something, but don't. Don't say anything. Just keep your mouth shut and get on your knees and try to get through it the best that you can and see what happens. Don't start playing the blame game because you're only going to make matters worse. Hang in there. But personal loss will cause severe discouragement. So that brings me to this question. What should we do when we become discouraged? Look at our text. I hope you still have your Bible open to 1 Kings 19. But what should we do when we become discouraged? Number one, look at verse number nine. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Number one, listen for the word of the Lord. Listen for God's voice. Read your Bible. Hey, do you know that when you're in that dark, dingy cave and you're all alone and you are discouraged, do you know that sometimes the thing that you don't want to do the most is exactly what you need to be doing? Hey, believe it or not, I have had numerous times where I did not feel like coming to church. And you know why I came? Because I had to preach. <laughs> you say that, well, well, duh. No, but isn't that really kind of a, it's like, I wouldn't, I don't want to be here, but I'm stuck. I have to be here because it, it would be too short notice to call Brother James or Brother Terry or somebody else to preach. And so it's like, well, I don't want to be a jerk, so I guess I'll just go and and preach. And I didn't even want to be here. And by the time that the service or the day was over, I am feeling so much better. And I am saying, wow, God, you blessed me and you met with me and you spoke to my heart more than you did last week when I felt like coming. And so coming and being in church is exactly what I needed, but it's what every fiber of my being said, I don't want to. I want to just hide in my cave and be all alone. Hey, I'm one of the cave, I'm one of these guys that when I'm going through a tough time, I like to crawl in the cave just like anybody else. I want to be left alone, just let me crawl in my cave, but I found that by experience, that is the worst thing that I can do. Listen for the word of the Lord. Psalm 30, verse number 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Hang in there, brother and sister. You may be discouraged. You may be disappointed. You may be depressed. You may be weeping for the night. You may think that God is angry at you. But hang in there because joy is coming in the morning. Number two, in verse number nine, it says here, What doest thou, Elijah? Look at verse 13. Once again, the Lord says, What doest thou here, Elijah? Remember, number two, that God knows. Do you know that Elijah is telling God his answer? <laughs> well, God, I've been very jealous for you. Well, God, I, you know, I, I, I killed all the prophets of Baal, and but Jezebel's trying to seek for my life, and I'm, I'm alone. Do, do you know that there is nothing that God didn't already know? God knew more about it than Elijah did. But Elijah was so discouraged that he thought he could make his case against the Lord. But I'll tell you what I like about this is that God says, what doest thou here, Elijah? I like the fact that God calls Elijah by name. Remember what God said, one of the first questions in the Bible. Where art thou, Adam? Adam, where art thou? Aren't you glad, as we said earlier, that God is a personal God and He knows us by our name? 
he's not an impersonal generic God. He is a personal God and he knows your name. Every hair on your head is numbered. I know God has more numbers for some than others. But but if you think about it, now some of you don't need to do this because you can't afford to, but if you reached up and you grabbed one hair and you plucked it out, I wonder what number that, you know, God knows the number of that hair that you just plucked out. That's an amazing God. Do you think that God doesn't have some kind of interest in our measly, insignificant lives? He knows. He knows why we are where we are. He knew why Elijah was in the cave. But I'll tell you why he asked the question. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. He asked the question because he wants you to know he knows why you're there. Same thing he did with Adam. He knew where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to know that he knew where he was. It wasn't a rhetorical question, but it certainly wasn't a question that God didn't know the answer to. Now, in light of that, and I want to go quickly here for sake of time, but I want to give you a little addendum to this point. We're talking about remembering that God knows. This addendum is the question, does God care? Because there are times where we know that He knows, but we wonder if He cares. Does God care whether I'm discouraged or not? Well, how about what the Scripture says? In Colossians 13, verse 21, God said regarding children, He said, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That tells me that God cares about whether us as children become discouraged. How about Deuteronomy 3, verse number 28? He says, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. God knows that our strength is dependent upon our emotional well-being, our attitude, if you will. When we become discouraged, we become weak. So God says, encourage Joshua, encourage your leader. Hey, there is a lot to be said for encouraging the people that you are depending upon. Hey, if you've got a boss that you work for, encourage your boss. Hey, children, you got parents that are imperfect? Hey, try encouraging them. How about telling them that you're thankful? How about saying, Mom... Thank you for being such a good cook. She might have just burnt the toast, crunched down on it, and say, Mom, you are the best cook in the world. Because chances are she's smart enough to know that it's not the best toast that she's ever made. But maybe, maybe it was the last piece of bread, and she couldn't make a new piece, and she didn't want you to know that there wasn't any more bread And maybe you just need to say, thank you, Mom. That's the best toast I've ever eaten in my life. You are such a great cook. Thank you for the time and the care in providing this meal for us. You know, there's just little things like that, that the people that are in authority in our life, people that are leading us, hey, if you encourage them, then they're going to be a better leader. They're going to be a better authority over you, maybe You have more power than you realize, but the power is not in control. The power is in the ability to encourage. Encourage Joshua. Hey, how about uh, encouraging one another? Isaiah chapter 41 verse 6 says, They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. You know what God's prophesying of is a time when people of different trades and different backgrounds and different walks in life, that they're not competing with one another. They are encouraging one another. Hey, I've been in construction. I've worked around construction Built three houses. Thank God, Brother Charles, Sister Rhonda, getting down to the home stretch. 
I, I know building your own house, how, how much labor, and it's just, it's so fatiguing. But I noticed that in, that the trades, the, the plumbers and the electricians and the HVAC people and the framers and the finished carpenters and the drywallers, they all hate each other. I'm serious. They're all competing to try to make sure that they get their job done first so that the other don't get in their way. And can you imagine if everybody would just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to run this pipe. I'm going to run it a little bit over to this side because I know that the electrician is going to need access right there. And so let's all work together and encourage one another. There is so much power in encouraging one another, and there are so many ways that we can do it without patronizing one another. I'm not talking about this mamby-pamby, nicey-wicey soccer mom mentality where we're insincere. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about genuine, sincere, paying a compliment, saying something complimentary, thanking someone for something that they did just to be an encouragement. God cares about us being encouraged. He doesn't just know, but He knows and He cares. That brings me to point number three on why do we become discouraged, or excuse me, let me back up here, not why we become discouraged, but what we do about our discouragement. Uh, Number three, if you look at verse number 10, the Bible says here, the Lord says, I have, Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. While God already knew the answer to this, there's one thing I appreciate about Elijah's response, and that is that he's being honest and open with God. He's not patronizing God with some canned response. He's not thinking, okay, what does God want to hear? And I'll tell him what he wants to hear. In other words, Elijah's just simply being real with God. And you know what? Whatever you're struggling with in life, you're never going to get right until you get real. And that I can promise you. You may, there may be a lot of things that you'll never be, a lot of things that you'll never do, but one thing that we all can be is we can be real. And I tell you what, God wants His people to be real. If we're real, then we have the potential to be right. But if we ain't real, then nothing else matters. Don't patronize God with religious cliches or programmed responses. Hey, God knows that none of us are going to win them all. None of us. Do you know in professional baseball that if you miss seven out of ten times, then you'll probably be paid, being paid five, ten million dollars? If you hit a baseball, you get a base hit three out of ten times. That means you failed seven out of ten. Wow, you, you are making a lot of money if you're just batting 333. That's an amazing thing. You know how many times Abraham Lincoln failed in politics and life before he was finally elected president? God knows that we're not going to win them all. Number four, in verses 15 through verse 17, I'm not going to read them for sake of time, but God says to Elijah, I want you to go and anoint Hazel to be king, and Jehu, and I want you to anoint Elisha, and I want you to do all these things. Number four, finish your course. Stay faithful. God may have other plans to use other people. God may not reveal to you what's going to happen in the future, but if you don't know what to do, just Finish your course and just stay faithful. God's going to bless you if you'll just stick with God and do the right thing. In conclusion, in verse number 18, Elijah thinks that he's the only one left. But the bottom line is, you are not in this alone. None of us are in this alone. That is what church is all about. 
That is what family is all about. We are here to be a help and an encouragement to one another because discouragement can be deadly. There's an old story that goes about how the devil had a toolbox and um, and uh, one of the saints were arguing with the devil and they, they tried to talk the devil into turning in all of his tools and the devil said, you can take every tool in my toolbox except for this one. And they said, well, what, what tool is that? And he said, it's the tool of discouragement. He said, as long as I've got this tool, I can do whatever I want with whoever I want. It's the most powerful tool that Satan uses. When we get discouraged, we're like a magnificent sailboat. I mean, one of those ancient schooners with all of the sails that are hoisted and the beautiful woodwork. We're like a magnificent sailboat with no wind. I'll bring it a little bit more to modern terms. We're like a lawnmower with a sharp blade and a full tank of gas and a dead battery. That's happened to me, by the way. And I'm ready to mow. I'm ready to take my zero turn out there. And man, I love zero turn mowers. Ain't that right, Brother Rex? Man, they're just nothing like them. But when you go and you turn that switch and the battery's dead, nothing's going to happen. That's how discouragement affects our life. Our story earlier about David and his men turning on him and their soul being so discouraged. There's another verse there that I didn't read, verse number 6. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Listen, you're not in this alone. You may think that nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody cares. Listen, chances are there are multiple people who love you and care about you and would understand and would support and help and strengthen you. Chances are that there are more than you even realize. But even if... Even if there was no other human being, the good news is, is that God always cares. And David knew and understood that. And when everybody had turned on him, everybody wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to blame him. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Hey, I don't have anything, but I still got God. And we've got a God who promised, brothers and sisters, that he would never leave us or forsake us. Those two go together, by the way. If he, would, if he was going to forsake us, we would want him to leave us. But he won't leave us or forsake us. You study about prides of lions and packs of wolves and the reason, or the way that they take down their prey. They can take down prey that is far bigger and stronger than them. But the way that they do it is they separate their prey from the rest of the herd. And that is something that Satan, as a roaring lion, Satan as a wolf who is trying to devour the flock, that's the way that he works in order to take God's people down. He separates them from the rest of God's people, and the tool that he uses more than anything is the tool of discouragement. Several years ago, my daughter Anna was going through some health problems. Her heart was just racing almost out of control, and we went through all kinds of tests, and they couldn't find anything wrong with her heart. But sure enough, her, her heart rate would be just just off the charts. She had to wear a heart monitor for, I believe, a month. I mean, there was something wrong, but they couldn't figure out what it was. Anna's never acted like that really anything bothers her, but we found out that a lot of the things that she'd been dealing with at work and so forth, that that stress was just being internalized. And she was such a good-natured young lady that she didn't even realize the effect that stress was having. Finally, after all of these tests and all of these doctors, one of the doctors said, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to 
You need to get some exercise. Now, the heart condition that she had, she I mean, she would be exhausted because of her heart rate. It would literally exhaust her. And the thing that she felt least like doing was getting on an exercise bike. The doctor said, do it anyways. Lo and behold, just like we said earlier, the thing that her body said, I don't want to do, was exactly the thing that she needed to do in order to feel better. Brothers and sisters, if you're discouraged, if you're not discouraged today, your day will come. There are some things that we can do to deal with it. Listen to God. Be honest and open with God. Finish your course. Stay by the stuff. This too shall pass. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for helping Elijah. And Lord, we realize that um, you ended up taking him to heaven. And God, I'm sure that um, that was uh, not a disappointing thing to Elijah. But God, he went through some tough times, some tough disappointment. I pray, Father, that we would learn from a man that has like passions as us. And I pray, Father, that we would deal with it the way that he did. Speak to our hearts and help us. I pray for the, the, the people here today that needed this message the most. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help and strengthen. In Jesus' name, amen.